If you have your Bibles with you this morning, and I hope that you do, would you please take them and turn with me to the 16th Psalm, to Psalm 16. This morning we are going to examine another Psalm of David, and I have entitled today's sermon, Strength for Today and Bright Hope for Tomorrow. Now, many of you will recognize that I borrowed those words. Uh, They come from that wonderful hymn that we love to sing so often, Great is Thy Faithfulness. You'll remember the words of the third verse of that hymn. Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth, thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine with 10,000 beside. And then the refrain goes this way, great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Those words were written by Thomas Chisholm, whose favorite passage of Scripture is found in Lamentation 3. And we read these words from the prophet Jeremiah. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Now, it's obvious that those words from Lamentations formed the basis of of Chisholm's beautiful hymn. But I want you to know that the text of Psalm 16 that we're going to look at this morning could just have easily influenced him as well. What what David writes in this psalm are words of conviction and confidence that point to the present strength that is available to those who trust in the Lord and also points them to the future hope that awaits them in the life to come. Simply put, David tells us that with the Lord, there is strength for today and there is bright hope for tomorrow. So with that in in the background of our mind, let's read the psalm together. Psalm 16, which tells us that it is a mictum of David. And verse 1 reads this way, Preserve me, O God, for in you I put my trust. O my soul, you have said to the Lord, You are my Lord. My goodness is nothing apart from you. As for the saints who are on the earth, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Their sorrows shall be multiplied who hasten after another God. Their drink offerings or Blood I will not offer, nor take up their names on my lips. O Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope for you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let's pray together this morning. Lord, we thank you for your goodness and your mercy to us. And we thank you for this day that you have given to us. Now we pray that you help us to concentrate fully on your word this morning. 
and that you would transform us by the power of your Holy Spirit working through that word which you have authored and given to us. We bless your name, we praise you, and we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. So you'll notice that on your outline, I've divided this text into two parts. And uh, two parts that really express the confidence that David has in the Lord for both the present and the future. And so in keeping with my sermon title, uh, I have divided these two main parts and identified them this way. The first part is today's strength. And we'll see that from verses 1 through 8. And then the second part is tomorrow's hope. And we'll see that in verses 9 through 11. Let's look, let's look at today's strength to begin with. In verse 1, uh, we, we notice that, that David begins with this request. David asks the Lord to preserve him. Literally, he says, watch over me, God. But unlike the situations that David faced in other Psalms, there appears to be no particular problem or, or foe that David is up against here in this psalm. In fact, many scholars have proposed that Psalm 16 was written during a time in which David existed in relative peace and security. Consequently, David's request for the Lord to to watch over him and preserve him here in verse 1 really is less of an immediate plea for deliverance and it's more of an acknowledgement on David's part that that God is his protector, God is his, his shield. In fact, that's precisely what David goes on to say in the, in the rest of verse 1. He declares, for in you I put my trust. The ESV translates it this way and says, for in you I take refuge. In fact, that's the first word, the first hook that we come to underneath that, that first main point uh, this morning regarding today's strength. It is the word refuge. Refuge. David, David obviously expected God to take care of him, for God to be the one to whom he could run to and feel safe. Just like children run to their parents' bedroom at night when they've had a bad dream. So, so David declares that he will run to God. He was confident that God was strong enough to protect him and that he trusted in the security that God would provide for him. So in verse 1, David declares that God is his refuge. But notice the next word, the next hook on your outline there. We get it from the first part of verse 2. I have identified it as the word reverence. Reverence. In verse 2, David uses a different name for God than he did in verse 1. In verse 1, David refers to God with his most common Old Testament name, the name El which communicates God's strength and and God's power and his might. But in verse 2, David refers to him as Yahweh. It's communicated to us by the the name Lord there that is in all caps. The name Yahweh is, is God's chosen name for himself. It's the name that communicates his covenant relationship with his people. And and here in verse 2, David affirms that Yahweh, the Lord, is his Lord, his Adonai. That's communicated to us by the word Lord there that is not in all caps. It indicates that Yahweh was David's master, David's sovereign, David's ruler. And I don't want you to miss the importance of that. Because you see, David doesn't just refer to God as as this strong, impersonal force who can can protect him in, in his trouble. No, David reveres God as one with whom he has a personal relationship. He's not just a distant God. He is a personal and up-close God 
whom David commits his life to honoring. So in verse 1, David calls upon the strong and the mighty God in whom he trusts to watch over him. And in the first part of verse 2, he declares the covenant declares that the covenant God of Israel is his master and his Lord. There are elements of refuge and elements of reverence in those declarations. And there's also the element, notice the, the third point there, sub point under number one, there's the element of realization that we come across in verse two. David says in the second part of verse two, my goodness is nothing apart from you. I believe the ESV even gets closer to the original uh, meaning in its translation. I have no good apart from you. David comes to this realization. He realizes that he has nothing good that does not come from God. Now consider that for just a moment. In verse 2, David has moved from this abstract concept of God who is a strong and a mighty and a powerful force, powerful enough to protect him against all harm, And he moves to a personal and intimate concept of God with whom a a personal relationship is possible. A relationship that produces all the good that David would ever need in his life. So so verse 2 contains the elements of devotion and delight. It, It contains this confession of submission while also a confession of God's sufficiency. We find a clear parallel to what David declares here in the words of of Asaph. In Psalm 73, verse 25, we we noted this verse a couple of weeks back. Whom have I in heaven but you, he asks. And there is nothing on earth that that I desire beside you. Now, my question is, what would cause someone to make such a bold declaration as the one that David makes here in Psalm 16 and Asaph makes there in Psalm 73 to declare that that no good can be found apart from God to declare that there is nothing or no one worthy of our pursuit beside him. Well, such statements only come from a conviction that God. Everything that he does for us is good. He alone is good. And that's a, clear, that's a clear declaration of the Apostle James in the New Testament as well. In James chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, James says this, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights in whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Now in light of that and in light of what David says here in Psalm 16, There's something very important that we must understand. You see, for the Lord to be our strength for today, we must come to know him as our refuge. We must must revere him as our Lord and master. And we must realize that he alone is our source of good and that nothing can ever mean more to us than he does. That's what the Apostle Paul declares in Philippians chapter 3. Verses 7 and 8, he says, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. Now, 
to just be completely transparent with you here, I believe everything that David goes on to discuss in the remainder of this psalm, all the benefits of the blessings of which he is confident, all of today's strength and all of tomorrow's hope, I believe it hangs on what he has written here in these first two verses. And it causes me to really pause and to ask you, based upon what David has written here, is God your refuge? Or are you looking for help in other places? Is he your redeemer? Have you, have you bowed before him and, and repented of your sin and confessed Jesus Christ as your savior and your master and your Lord? Do you value him? Do you treasure him above everything else in your life? In the words of David Platt, is he the treasure chest of holy joy around which everything else in your life revolves so that everything else which you value in this life pales in comparison to him? Is, is Jesus your supreme treasure? You know, when I think of supreme treasure, I'm reminded of the twin parables that Jesus told in Matthew chapter 13. Verses 44 through 46, he says this again, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid and for joy over it. He goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Those parables square with what David realizes about the Lord here in Psalm 16. David says, I have no good apart from you. You are all the good that I need. As one has put it, David realized that he could lose everything else in this life and not despair so long as he still had the Lord. So long as he belonged to the Lord and the Lord belonged to him, that would be enough forever. But the opposite is also true. That apart from that relationship with the Lord, all of the lesser good things that this life might offer, well, they, they become basically worthless. And they only lead to despair. As I have mentioned, I believe that today's strength absolutely hangs upon that realization. Upon our reverence toward the Lord as our redeemer and upon our confidence in him as our refuge. But I want you to know it doesn't end there. Notice the next hook that is there on your outline. David goes on to tell us there is a great benefit in the strength that we come to find in our relationships. Relationships. In verse three, David recognizes that the personal relationship he has with God is not an isolated one. There are many others who also revere the Lord and run to him for their refuge. And knowing that causes him to rejoice in the relationships that he has with them, with, with people whom he calls saints, people that he calls excellent ones, people in whom he delights. And I believe that statement by David necessitates that we ask ourselves, if we love other Christians like that, do we find it rewarding to be around other believers do we seek and do we long for their company? You know, based upon what David says here, those who love the Lord 
will also love being around others who love the Lord. That's, that's also what the Apostle John tells us in 1 John 5, verse 1. He says this, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. And listen, I want you to know those loving relationships, those godly friendships, well, they're very important to the believer. As it pertains to today's strength, what we recognize is that one of the many wonderful benefits of being a part of God's family is that he provides for us friends who will walk along life's road with us through good times and through bad times. He provides them for us so that we don't have to walk these roads by ourselves. But I want you to know that today's strength also comes with a caution. Verse 4, David reminds us that not everyone we encounter in life reveres the Lord. In fact, there are those who spend their lives chasing after gods with little g's in front of them, after false gods. And, and what David tells us is those who chase after those false gods end up with multiplied sorrows. Consequently, we come to see the next word that characterizes today's strength. You'll notice it there. The next hook on your outline, subpoint E, is rejection. Rejection. You see, David says that he will not even allow his lips to utter the names of the false gods of which those others chase after. He recognizes that to embrace such paganism would be completely inconsistent with his declaration back in verse 2 that Yahweh was his sovereign master. And consequently, what we have to understand is that it is a tremendous, there is a tremendous value for believers in this life in just saying no. Saying no to practices, saying no to behaviors, saying no to attitudes that go contrary to our faith in Christ. We, we must always be aware that our first allegiance above all others is to the Lord Jesus. He is our refuge. He is our strength. He is our hope. Today's strength is marked not only by our reverence of the Lord, but also of our, by our rejection of anything and anyone who would pull us away from him. We would do well to recall the warning given by Joshua to the children of Israel as they settled in their possession of the promised land. In Joshua 23, verses 7 and 8, we read these words, As you go among these nations, these who remain among you, you shall not make mention of the name of their gods, nor cause anyone to swear by them. You shall not serve them, nor bow down to them, but you shall hold fast to the Lord your God as you have done to this day. So, so in this psalm, today's strength has been characterized so far by the words refuge and Reverence, realization, relationships, rejection. And then in verses 5 and 6, we see the next word. It's the word reward. Reward. David says the, these things in, in verses 5 and 6. O Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. Now, I just quoted 
to you from, from the book of Joshua and, and, and just a few moments ago. And, and Joshua was speaking to the 12 tribes of Israel who were settling into the promised land. In fact, the, the, the last half of the book of Joshua really goes into great detail regarding the division of land among all of those 12 tribes. And, and their inheritance was called a portion. And, and, and that it was, it was an allotment of land that was prescribed for them. And, and it was their portion of land. But there was one tribe that did not receive an inheritance of land. They did not receive a portion of land. And that was the tribe of Levi. And while it may seem as though the tribe of Levi got shortchanged, that's not the way that the Lord saw it. In fact, this is what he said to Aaron in Numbers chapter 18, verse 20. The Lord said to Aaron, you shall have no inheritance in the land, nor shall you have any portion among them. I am your portion and your inheritance among the children of Israel. Now you see, God says, you're not going to get an apportionment of of land given to you. You will have me as your portion. David picks up on those exact words here in Psalm 16, and that puts them in the context for us because David is declaring, God, you are my portion. You have given me you. And I'm so covered and I'm so blessed with your love that I don't need anything else besides you. If there, was a, if there was a table set before me with the finest of food and, the, and cups filled with the choicest of wine, I would still choose you. I hunger and I thirst after you, Lord. That's what David is saying. My question to you is, do you hunger and thirst after the Lord in that way? David's words here in Psalm 16 reflect a deep contentment in the reward which the Lord has provided him. These words are echoed once again by the words of Asaph in Psalm 73, verse 26. He says this, my flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. I read to you from Lamentations 3 earlier, verse 24, read this way, the Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. That brings us to the last word and the last hook on your outline under today's strength there in verses 7 and 8. We see this. It's the word reliance. Reliance. David identifies his reliance upon two specific things which God had blessed him with. The first one is that David praises the Lord because of the Lord's counsel. In other words, David had needed direction. He had needed guidance and the Lord had given it to him. No doubt providing it through the ministry of the Holy Spirit to David, but also through his word as well. And what I want you to know is that both of those are available to you and to me today. We have God's holy word to instruct us. But we're also told, according to James chapter 1, verse 5, that if any of us lack wisdom, we should ask God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to us. David relies upon that counsel of the Lord, but he also relies upon the presence of God who who stands beside him and strengthens him and supports him. David says, look, I have set the Lord always before me. I shall not be moved. I shall not be shaken. Now I want you to just think about that for just a moment. David began this psalm with a request that the Lord would preserve him and would watch over him. 
And he concludes the first part of this psalm by declaring, I shall not be moved. In other words, because the Lord was before him, David was confident that he would not be shaken. And he was confident in his strength for today, a strength characterized by refuge and reverence and realization and relationships and rejection and reward and reliance. But then notice in verse 9, there is a shift in David's focus. He says, therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My, my flesh also will rest in hope. In other words, David was confident in today's strength, but he's also confident, as we see here, in tomorrow's hope. That's the second point, tomorrow's hope. And what we recognize first and foremost about tomorrow's hope is that it is characterized, notice it there, by rejoicing. Rejoicing, that's the first hook there underneath the second point. The word therefore at the beginning of verse 9 indicates that David is moving toward the conclusion of this psalm. And everything that he has recounted for us thus far is enough that, that causes his heart to, to just burst forth in joy and gladness at what all God has done and provided for him. But his joy was not tied solely to what God would provide for him in this life. No, David's confidence and joy were tied to the fact that God would not only preserve him in this life, but in the fact that God would preserve him in the life to come. David's heart is overjoyed with gladness because as he says in verse 10, for you will not leave, you will not abandon my soul and Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. I think it's important to note here that David is not denying the inevitable. He, he knows that just like every other human being who had ever lived before him, one day he would die. But he's not overwhelmed with grief and sadness at that prospect. No, he's overwhelmed with joy because notice the next point on your outline. He's, he's overwhelmed with joy because of the prospect of resurrection. Resurrection. David recognizes that when he dies, his body will not be abandoned to the grave forever. In other words, David believes in the resurrection. The question is, where did he get that idea from? Where? Where would he have come up with that thought? Well, there, there's a number of different ways we could look at that. But, but according to 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 13, the Lord said of David that he would establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now, there was only one way that David's kingdom could be established forever. And that was if death was defeated. The scholars debate exactly what David, what they think David did know and didn't know about what he wrote here in Psalm 16. What cannot be debated, however, is how what David wrote here in Psalm 16 was understood after Jesus rose from the dead. You see, on the day of Pentecost, the apostle Peter stood and preached to thousands of people. And when he did, according to Acts chapter 2, he quoted these verses here from Psalm 8, from Psalm 16, verses 8 through 11. And, and after having quoted these verses to those thousands of people that he was preaching to, Peter says to the crowd, look, David could not have been referring to himself when he said that God's Holy One would not see 
corruption. After all, Peter says, the patriarch David is both dead and buried and his tomb is with us to this day. And therefore being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ, the Christ to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up of which all we all are witnesses. And what I want you to know is the Apostle Paul makes the same point in Acts chapter 13 using this same text here in Psalm 16. In Acts 13, Paul quotes David in verse 10 and he says, you will not allow your Holy One to see Corruption, And then Paul goes on to explain for David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep and was buried with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up saw no corruption. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that though this man is preached to you, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. Paul, like Peter, Recognize that David's prophecy here in Psalm 16 pointed to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And here's the point that we must not miss. Jesus remained God's holy one, even though he bore upon himself all of the the guilt of sin of the world. He bore upon himself the guilt of human sin without becoming a sinner himself. And therefore, his payment was perfect and his payment was complete. And that is why Peter preached in Acts chapter 2, verse 24, that God raised Jesus up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. You see, just as David had hoped, there would be one who would would ultimately defeat death. And by rising from the dead, Jesus did just that. And so we see that tomorrow's hope is characterized by rejoicing. It is characterized by resurrection. And finally, it's characterized by revelation. David says in verse 11, you will show me, you will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. See, David says, the only way that I have come to know this path, the only way that I I, I understand the path that I must take is because you have made it known to me. He says, I would have never known it, Lord, without your revelation. And what a path it is. It's a path marked by the continual and the forever presence of God that not only steadies us in this life, as we saw back in verse 8, but it It brings to us not partial joy, but fullness of joy. It it brings to us not pleasures for only a little while. It brings to us pleasures forevermore. Brothers and sisters, that is the confidence with which David writes. Psalm 16 tells us that today's strength and tomorrow's hope rests on a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, who is our refuge to whom we can turn. He is our Redeemer who who takes away our sin. He is our reward who gives us himself forever. And he is the one who, because he has been raised from the dead, gives us hope for our own resurrection. 
Therefore, it is that reflection upon this passage that leads me to my sermon in a sentence this morning. My sermon in a sentence is this. When you make the Lord your supreme treasure, you will possess strength for today and a bright hope for tomorrow. When you make the Lord Jesus Christ your supreme treasure, then friend, you can have strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. The question that I must ask you is this. Is the Lord your supreme treasure? Is he the refuge that you run to? Is he your sovereign Lord and and master? Have you entered into a personal relationship with him through faith? Is he alone sufficient for your happiness? Do you desire him above all else? Do you delight in those who belong to him and who are his children? Are you actively rejecting the pull of culture and of your own nature to rebel against him and follow after false gods? Are you satisfying yourself in the Lord and are you content with where he has you and the gifts that he has given to you? Is the Lord your trusted counselor? Are you comforted and are you steadied by his hand upon your life? Now, I recognize those are a lot of questions. But let me say to you that unless Jesus is all of those things to you. Simply put, unless Jesus is your supreme treasure. Then you will never know strength for today. But if he is, then then. If your faith and your confidence is in him, if if he is your heart's desire, then based upon what David tells us here in this psalm, all of those blessings with 10,000 beside are yours in Christ. When you treasure him above all else, he will give you strength for today. But that's not all. He will be your bright hope for tomorrow. You can face the uncertainty of what lies in front of you with joy, knowing, knowing that you will ultimately be victorious because Jesus was victorious. Because he was raised from the dead, then you too will experience life everlasting. And you can look to the future with confidence because in Christ, in Christ, we find the path of life. In him, in his presence, there is fullness of joy and there are pleasures forevermore. So are you on that path? Are you living in his presence? Are you enjoying his pleasures? I want you to know the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus is the supreme treasure. And if you're not enjoying that, if you're not experiencing that, if he is not your supreme treasure, then why not? Why not? When, what is preventing you from turning to him in faith? And repentance. Why would you continue down the path that leads to destruction, a path that leads you away from your only hope, a path that leads you, leaves you empty and despairing for eternity because of your sin? I just simply appeal to you, turn to Christ. Trust in Him. Make Him your supreme treasure. And if you will do that, then those words of Thomas Chisholm will be your words. You can have 
pardon for sin and a peace that endureth thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine with 10,000 beside. Friend, I pray that you will trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and make him your supreme treasure today. Brothers and sisters, that is the gospel. And this is the word of God for the people of God. Let's pray together this morning. Lord, we thank you that you are our, our hope. You are our strength for today and our hope for tomorrow. And you've blessed us in so many wonderful ways and continue to do so through the presence of your Holy Spirit in our lives. And we, we have seen that from your text this morning. And we've, we also have seen the appeal that necessarily flows from it, that our lives have to be reconciled to you. That we not just see you as some distant, far-off God, but that you are a personal God with whom you desire a personal relationship with us. And that relationship comes through faith and repentance. And I pray that today, any who may come across these words as they're spoken either here this Sunday morning or at some point later, they come across this recording that my prayer is, is that your Holy Spirit would move in their hearts and have them to be able to understand that they must fall before you in reverence. They must seek you as their supreme treasure and joy in life. And when they do, that you will be their reward. You will be their redeemer. You will be the one who through your resurrection gives them eternal life. I thank you for that truth. I thank you for that gospel. And I pray that it will encourage our hearts today in Christ's name. Amen.